Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Susan Lynn. She is a psychologist, award-winning ventriloquist, and world-renowned expert on creative play and the impact of media and commercial marketing on children. She was a founding director of Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, now called Fair Play, and is currently research associate at Boston Children's Hospital and lecturer on psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. She is the author of three books, including the one we're going to discuss today, Who's Raising the Kids, Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. Welcome, Susan. Hi, I'm so happy to be talking to you too. We have a lot of experts on the podcast, but considering your bio, you are a capital E expert. (laughs) Truly. Talk a little to us about how your career evolved and what brought you to this work. Actually, I began life as a ventriloquist and I earned my living that way for a lot of my life. I did performances for children. I worked in television. I was so fortunate to be able to work with Fred Rogers. I appeared on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and also made videotapes with his production company about difficult issues for kids, like going to school after you've been diagnosed with cancer or being homeless, or we did a whole series on racism for first to third graders. So that was just a wonderful experience. One thing I noticed early on with my puppets, children talked to them, and if they were using puppets, they would say things and do things that they wouldn't do otherwise. And I was always interested in child development. And so I got a job as a puppet therapist at Boston Children's Hospital doing play therapy with kids who were having bone marrow transplants, had been hit by cars, cardiac surgery. And so eventually I went back and I got a doctorate in counseling psychology from the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I worked in television. It's not that I'm anti-technology, but I began to notice an escalation in the commercialization of childhood. My whole career has been devoted to working with, for, and on behalf of children. The idea that kids were so clearly being exploited for profit was just appalling to me. I mean, I really believe the biggest 
greatest influences in children's lives should be the people who love them and care about them or who at least care about children's well-being in general. So I was seeing commercialism escalate in my daughter's school. When she was in third or fourth grade, the school concert was an evening of Disney music. That Disney was really pushing to get itself into the schools. And I was distressed that the one body of music that she was being sold every day was what she was learning in school. That's not what schools should be for. It should be to expand and enrich your life. That's such an interesting example because I think of commercialization as sweet cereal commercials during cartoons. And that's a really good first example. That is something that as a parent, I do not think would put my ears up as this is an example of commercialization. I would have said, oh, of course they like Disney. And so they're playing Disney. It makes a lot of sense to me. And this is nothing compared to what's going to come in the 2020s. No, commercials are just so 20th century. Sort of the point of this new book, Who's Raising the Kids? It's not, as you said, it's not anti-technology. It's anti-advertising to children. The issue is that these days, anywhere kids are, there's a screen or there could be a screen or there might be a screen or there's a screen handed to them. And so this advertising to children, it's inescapable in a way that wasn't always the case. Right. And advertising is not just 30-second commercials, 15-second commercials. It's embedded in just about all media and technology that's targeted to children. If your child is engaged with a beloved media character, that character is also marketing toys and food and clothing and more media to kids. I mean, the business model is such a problem. When I I began this work when I and my colleagues founded the advocacy group Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, which is now called Fair Play. I was extremely concerned about marketing on television or in videos, for instance. I mean, that was way before smartphones and tablets. And that advertising was incredibly powerful, but it's nothing compared to what's going on today with the new technologies where companies have huge amounts of information about all of their users, including children, and where there is no regulation that is stopping them from using that information either for them to target children specifically or for them to sell that information to other companies to market And that's how social media and games and YouTube, which is social media, that's how they make their money by delivering us and our children to advertisers. And that the values and the information that kids get from marketing is not beneficial to them, it's beneficial to companies. Most of the topics we talk about on the podcast, I think this is something I'm already spending a lot of time thinking about. And I will say, possibly to my embarrassment, this is not something before engaging with this book that I was spending really a lot of time thinking about. Hearing you talk about Mr. Rogers, I was a Mr. Rogers kid growing up. That was an interaction with that was just me watching this person on TV and this world of characters. And I didn't then expect to go to Mr. Rogers land and have Mr. Rogers applesauce and play with Mr. Rogers toys. 
something we talk sometimes is famous speech. This is water about knowing that you're even in water. I feel in engaging with this book and this idea that I'm having a this is water moment of I didn't even realize how much this has changed for myself and my kids over the course of my lifetime. Is that something that you see parents coming to this idea reflecting to you? Yes. And you know, the companies that target kids are counting on that. I mean, they're counting on nostalgia, for instance, you know, and one of the reasons that companies target children is because what they want to do is inculcate lifetime brand loyalty. That's extremely lucrative for a company. In fact, there is research that suggests it really works, that the things that we use in childhood, we may tend to use them as adults. What breakfast cereal do you buy? What toothpaste do you use? And what programs do you want your children to love? I mean, so they're counting on that. And what I think parents don't realize is how things have changed. There was marketing to kids starting, actually, it escalated in 1980. And that's when what little regulation we had in the United States was that media companies were deregulated. That's when it began. And that combined with the fact that it was the 1980s when the technologies really began to escalate and become more sophisticated, miniaturized, more powerful. It's that combination. And that's what parents are dealing with today that I didn't have to deal with when I was raising my daughter. We are talking to Susan Lynn, the author of Who's Raising the Kids, Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. 
Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. So Susan, this started going downhill in the 80s, sounds like when we were children, but the acceleration downhill of the explosion of devices everywhere is really what this book is about. And I wanted you to tell the story, if you would, about pretending you were a child and interacting with an Amazon Echo. Tell us what happened. You know, one thing that I discovered in writing this book is how easy it is to lie about your age, you know, when you're trying to sign in for apps or websites. I mean, I lied about my age all the time. I was pretending to be a child. Nobody questioned me. I was interested in Alexa for kids. The Echo Dot for kids is the Amazon smart speaker for kids and the way that you can get to Amazon for kids, which is supposed to be commercial free. I bought an Echo Dot, which, by the way, is incredibly cute. <laughs> I mean, honestly, when I unpacked it, I went, oh, <laughs> you could buy a little baby panda or a little baby tiger. And I got the tiger. And it's cute for a reason. It's cute because we're wired to respond to cuteness. What Amazon wants is for kids to love the speaker and to think that the speaker is fun and for parents to think that it's harmless. How could this cute little tiger harm children? But the first thing that I did was they have a feature that's called I'm Bored. If you say I'm Bored to the Echo Dot, it will suggest things for you to do. That in itself is problematic. Boredom is useful for kids because what it does is force them to rely on themselves, to look around the world, to find something interesting. I mean, there is a function to boredom. I know that it's hard for parents to deal with. I understand that. But I think it might be helpful to know that saying to your kids, find something to do is useful to them back to the little tiger echo dot. I said, I'm bored. It proceeded to list five things that I could do, all of which were commercial brands. SpongeBob SquarePants, American Girl, Star Wars, basically everything that Amazon was recommending was an ad for that brand. Every single one of the things. And that, you know, basically, that's advertising. Amazon is not commercial free in any way if their go-to suggestions are all brands. And what we don't know is why they're suggesting those particular brands. Are the companies paying them? Are kids getting suggestions that benefit companies but don't necessarily benefit them? So that was my first experience with the Echo Dot. My second experience was even more troubling. I have a chapter in my book on racism and bias in commercial media and technology for kids. 
There's a book called Algorithms of Oppression by Dr. Sophia Noble. And she wrote about how when she typed into Google three black teenagers, you got mugshots. If you typed in three white teenagers, you got rugby teams. That's horrible. And, you know, Google fixed those individual instances. I mean, it's possible to fix them. So I said to Alexa, I said, what are African-American girls? And it said African-American girls are the fastest growing segment of the juvenile justice system. I was so stunned that I couldn't even believe my ears. So then I said, what are African-American boys? And it was garbled a little, but basically what it said is that many of them were having trouble with learning and reading. So basically what Alexa was telling me is that African-American children were either bad or stupid. And Amazon markets Alexa as being able to help kids with homework. And so this is, first of all, these personal assistants, they aren't screens. And when we think about kids and technology and advertising, we can't just limit our concerns to screens because basically what the personal assistants are, are the precursors of personalized robots, which sounds like it's science fiction, but there are robots already on the market that are claiming to help kids feel less lonely, to help kids with homework, to teach kids social skills. So what big tech is doing, basically, is wanting to replace parents and caregivers and teachers, librarians with devices. And the thing that is so scary about that is, first of all, children, young children learn best when they're in relation to human beings. Babies can't learn language from a machine. That's what research is telling us. Certainly during the pandemic, we saw a lot of these studies about learning through screen versus learning in person and how different they were. Right. Is this what you call uh, divisive devices, Susan? Is that what you mean when you talk about a divisive device? When I'm talking about devices, I'm talking about whatever is enabling the companies to target you with marketing. Tablets, phones, Echo Dots, you know, that kind of thing. I think we have a category in our mind of screen bad, but that we're not seeing the teddy bear or the tiger that has a helpful speaker that, you know, We've seen our kids maybe play 20 questions, and it's amazing. How does the machine know to get to the answer? It's so cool that we're not expanding to think about what that relationship with that device is and how it may be encouraging kids to seek answers in a place that we're not really thinking about. I feel like I have a very strong awareness of Google that my kids might be typing in Roadrunner bomb or whatever because they're thinking about the Roadrunner and that I know like don't ask Google that that's going to bring up really disturbing results but that you're not making that connection to the like tiger who does 20 questions that might be in their room. You're encouraged to have Alexa. Alexa can help your kids with their homework. Alexa can read your kids a bedtime story. Like, isn't that wonderful? This is a wonderful day we live in, parents. And it's also, I mean, it's hard to be a parent today. You could say that again. I, I will. It's hard to be a parent today. I really feel for people raising young children today. They're dealing with things that people my age certainly never had to deal with. 
And the companies are taking advantage of that. Parents are stressed. I mean, being a parent, you know, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. It's also one of the most stressful things in the world. It can also be boring. I mean, I think we need to acknowledge that all of those things are true and the companies take advantage of that in their marketing. I mean, devices are marketed as making your life easier. There is something so compelling about handing a baby or a young child a smartphone and all of a sudden they're not crying. They're not, you know, they're just so focused on the screen and it's convenient. I mean, I did things for convenience when I was raising a young child. I mean, we do that, but the problem is it's not that handing a smartphone to a baby once is going to hurt the baby. It's that once we start doing it, it's hard to stop. It's hard for the baby and the toddler and the preschool to stop because the devices are designed to be addictive. And it's hard for parents to stop, first of all, because their kids start wanting the device and also because it's a relief. But I think what parents don't understand is that what they're training children to do is turn to devices for soothing and amusing instead of looking to themselves and what the tech industry calls IRL, you know, in real life around them. In real mm -hmm. life. Yeah. Right. We have a pretty good handle on the problem. It's a big problem and it's a pervasive problem. But in part three, we're going to turn towards solutions. We are talking to Susan Lynn, the author of Who's Raising the Kids? Big Tech, Big Business and the Lives of Children. And we will be right back. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. 
If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Susan, I did want to make sure to have time to talk about solutions because this book is full of them. You devote a good portion of your book to really walking through what we can do to change course. And I wanted to start with the point that you make overall. This isn't about parents. You should feel guilty. You need to fix this. It's on you. It's bigger than that. Tell us why. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I write about in the book is when I give talks about this topic, I notice the people who are my age or people who have kids who are already grown start to look very smug. And the parents who are raising young children at the time start to look green. It's important to me that people know I'm not trying to make parents feel guilty. As I said earlier, it's never been harder to be a parent than it is today in a lot of ways. So I think it's important first of all, for all of us to recognize that this is not a problem for individual families. It's a societal problem, and it needs to be fixed by society. And in that sense, I'm more hopeful today than I ever have been. There were bills that made it through committee in the Senate that had bipartisan support that came very close to being passed. Close isn't enough, but as an advocate and an activist, that's a really big deal that it got that far. And this is the first time in decades that there have been bills in Congress focused on limiting commercialism in the lives of children. So that's encouraging to me. And also, there are organizations all over the country that are working on this issue, that are helping parents limit screen time. There's an organization that's called Wait Until 8th, in which parents can band together and decide to postpone getting their kids a smartphone until 8th grade. I mean, I think that's really encouraging. There are local and national organizations working on helping parents limit screen time. I think that's really encouraging. But I also know that social change takes time. And meanwhile, parents need help now. And there are things that parents can do to have more control over the marketing that is targeting their kids. And one of them is to make sure that except for video chatting with adults who love them, to make sure that people remember that there is no benefit to babies and toddlers to being on screens. I mean, there's nothing that I've seen that is valuable to them that they gain from it. But what is coming out is that there's research suggesting that there are brain changes, that the more screen time kids may have between zero and two, it affects areas of the brain that control something called executive function, which is the capacity to initiate, follow through on and complete tasks and projects, you know, and things like that. That's scary. And so one thing that parents can do is postpone introducing their kids to tech and media until the kids are older. I think there's a few things that really stuck out to me in the solutions list. We're all soaking in this reality. And I think we're 
you know, our kids are getting into the sort of grown category. I think especially for moms of very young kids. I mean, the tablet, they might as well hand you one at the hospital. It's very much part of the ethos. And I think trying to find a fire line and a break in that and making rules around it. But also, I thought some of the things that you had on your list, and they're in very simple terms, one being the more a toy does, the less a child needs to do just in terms of thinking about play. We had my sister-in-law, Christina Martin, who runs a progressive school talking about the way that they approach play. A lot of it is like, here's a pile of sticks. What is this to you all? Versus here is a giant apparatus that shows you exactly how you go into it to have fun. For people for whom some of these solutions may seem intimidating, I think there's also some entry points here that are maybe a little bit easier for parents in terms of just rethinking what play looks like for kids and has always looked like for kids, except for maybe in the last 40 years. Yeah, I love the phrase, a good toy is 90% child and only 10% toy. So when you're looking for toys for your kids, try to find toys that don't do anything, that don't have sounds. Every time a toy makes a sound, a child is deprived of an opportunity to make the sound for the toy, you know, to create toys that move on their own. I mean, all a child's doing is pressing a button and then the toy is going off having a lot of fun, maybe dancing and doing backflips, but the child's basically just sitting there. It's kind of ironic because these toys are being pushed aside as being old-fashioned, you know, stuffed animals that don't speak, blocks, dolls. And, you know, what you were talking about, toys you can find in nature, sticks, stones, mud, water, sand, you know, all of that. Those are the kinds of toys that kids really need. And not only that, that sustain their interests. But what we're being told is that, you know, the new toys are interactive. Interactive is a marketing buzzword for companies targeting kids. But they're not interactive, really. What they do is promote reaction. They're reactive, basically, because the child is always reacting to what the toy is doing. And that's true of most of the apps that I've seen for kids. For older kids, there are creative things that they can do online. But for younger kids, there really isn't that much. And the top apps for kids have very few options for children. And they're pre-programmed options. That's not what creativity is. I mean, creativity comes from having an inspiration and then generating your play or your art or whatever you're doing that comes from you. The most profound takeaway from this book for me is that kids playing with sticks and stuffed animals that can't talk is not only just as good as something that beeps and bops and speaks six languages, that that play, which is being taken away from them, is actually crucial to helping kids thrive. We have to bring that back in because it helps them develop. Yeah, I mean, anything can be marketed as educational. There aren't any rules or laws about that. In fact, everything is educational, but the question is, what are kids learning? When children play with devices that are telling them what to do or providing them with limited choices, they're learning that they need to rely on the outside world to find things to do or to have fun or, you know, to create. And that's not useful for children. Being able to think 
creatively. I mean, when I talk about the importance of creative play, it's not that everybody's going to grow up to be a great artist or a great actor. Creativity is a way of being in the world. It's a way of being able to take something and transform it into something else, about being able to see possibilities that aren't limited by necessarily by what's being offered. It's being able to use your inner resources to interact with what's around you. And creativity is one of the things that makes each of us unique. So I see creativity as really being aligned with mental health, really. We have only begun to scratch the surface of the solutions and the advocacy that is suggested in the book, including a digital toolbox for parents, educators, health professionals, and advocates. So tell our audience where they can find more of your work. We will obviously put a link to where they can find your book. And for people who are maybe feeling that water around them for the first time in this conversation, where can they find you? and find more information about this. People can find me at my website, which is susanlin.net. You can email me there. And also, I really suggest that parents go to fairplayforkids.org, which is the organization that I founded. I served as founding director there for 15 years. They're doing amazing work. And they also have a screen time action network that people are finding very, very useful. People you know, who are concerned about limiting and taking more control over children's time with screens. So SusanLynn.net and FairPlayForKids.org. And Susan's book is Who's Raising the Kids, Big Tech, Big Business, and the Lives of Children. And we will link to all of those places. Susan, thanks so much for talking to us today. Thank you, Susan. It's my pleasure. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.